So, um, Carmel Robinson, your Rotary Club has recently adopted a project to provide some relief in Lebanon. Uh, we'll call this the Beirut Project. Just refresh our memories, if you would, Carmel, the disaster that occurred there. When was that? And can you remember what, what was the cause? Okay, the gobsmacking and terrifying images burst onto our screen soon after the, the event which was at 6.17pm Beirut time on the 4th of August. There was at least one initial explosion which ignited a fire, which apparently triggered a second supersonic blast wave that radiated across the city. With over 5,000 years of history, Beirut had a population of 2.5 million, and it serves as the capital of Lebanon. But importantly, Beirut is also the largest centre of population in Lebanon. So this has obvious relevance for the impact of the Beirut disaster for the whole of Lebanon's 7 million population. So the epicentre of this was the port in Beirut. Yes, that's and right. There was a large stock... And Beirut on... is... Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll go on to that. Yeah, please. So... There were many recordings of the moment the explosion happened, it happened including the image of uh, a beautiful bride and groom blown off their feet by the enormous shockwave. Who could forget the images of the mushroom cloud that appeared shortly after the initial blast? Many of us felt as though we were watching the nuclear blast that levelled Hiroshima 75 years ago. It will forever be, for many of us, where were you at that moment? In terms of what caused it, um, a large amount of ammonium nitrate was said to be around 2,750 tonnes is believed to have been inappropriately stored, allegedly for the past six years in a poorly maintained warehouse. Without proper safety measures and despite warnings of danger, there had been previous explosion incidents involving the chemical around the globe, though none on this scale. The scale of the incident drummed home our own vulnerability in Australia with similar large storage issues of the chemical near the Newcastle CBD. The risk situation in common with Beirut made the terrible circumstances of the people of Beirut so very relatable. We have a nervous empathy. Okay, so dreadful, dreadful devastation, uh, loss of life, loss of property, um, yeah. loss of infrastructure. Has any rebuilding begun yet? Um, do we know of, Carmel? Well, can I step back a bit? Because the, um, uh, last night um, uh, we had we spoke with the chairman of the Beirut, Beirut Disaster Committee Relief Organisation in, in Lebanon, okay? And he is the uh, chairman of that committee and he is in the Rotary Club of Lebanon. It was actually a very large Zoom meeting with others involved in the district, including uh, members from Bahrain, because there are nine countries in that Lebanese, in, sorry, in that Rotary um, district. And in describing the needs, the chairman, Shel Jazar, felt it was really necessary to go back and look at the situation, which was really diabolical, immediately prior to the blast. Because to describe the impact the blast had on the on Beirut could not be understood without understanding what was there immediately before, what, what the situation was immediately before. So 
So he went on to describe that. And uh, he, here's, here's what he had to say. At the time of the blast, there was 40% unemployment. 50% of the population were in poverty. There were no public services. Supplies of water, electricity, sanitation was a problem with allegations of cor corruption in the public sector. Businesses closed and um, redundancies soared to 400,000 people with no severance payments or unemployment benefits. Prices soared. Hunger was rising in the population. Hospitals had difficulty in transferring money to purchase equipment um, because of the problems in the banking sector. Public and private hospitals were not being funded by the government. There was an 89 billion US dollar public debt and the lockdown for COVID fed the economic production costs even more. COVID-19 cases were getting out of control. The banking situation was still um, very much uh, an issue. And back in October 2019, there was what was described as a revolution. The banks closed for two weeks and the value of the currency dived and the minimum monthly salary equivalent had a purchasing power of $70. Um, when it was originally $400, it had an actual purchasing power banking issue of $70. So the, the interest rates. Yeah, the devastation is just unbelievable. It's apocalyptic, the impact. And this is before, this is, this yeah. is before the blast. Before the blast. So the blast, we've got to set the scene. Yeah. It was diabolical even before that. So it's almost unimaginable. Exactly. So normally in, a, in the case of a natural disaster, um, or any disaster for that matter, we get NGOs from around the world swarming in and offering aid um, and assistance. Yeah. I guess, is it because of COVID that they're not able to do that uh, in this situation? Yes. Um, scientists reported that the blast was unquestionably one of the largest um, non-nuclear explosions in history. And uh, the blast was strongest in the popular Beirut neighbourhoods near the port lined with apartments, clubs and, and restaurants. It is rather clinical to talk in the numbers of dead and injured as each person meant the world to someone. But due to the confusion, initial numbers were um, uncertain. So last night, um, uh, past uh, District Governor Michelle Jazar, in, uh, who chairs the Lebanese Relief com um, Committee in, in Beirut uh, reported the current situation. There are 150 deaths, 5,000 injured, 16 people missing, 4,000 families displaced, building repair costs estimated at 9 billion US, the harbour port repair cost estimated at 2 billion US, and incoming port traffic was down 75%. Chairman Michelle reported that the major hospitals were severely damaged, such as St George's Hospital and Getway Hospital. All hospitals in Beirut exceeded their capacities and rerouted some patients to hospitals all over the country. Personally, I can't shake the image of a gorgeous three-year-old girl reportedly killed in the blast. And she was photographed before the disaster, struck in her pretty pink outfit with her flowing curly hair carrying a Lebanese flag. It was just devastating. It is unknown what the ultimate effect will be of the toxins almost certainly released into the air that day. And uh, Beirut's port infra infrastructure, which 
it's at the heart of any hope of economic recovery for Beirut was destroyed in that instant. Most homes and businesses were damaged or destroyed in the two and a half kilometre radius of the explosion. Virtually all glass windows shattered and were propelled like missiles into buildings and people. The blast blew out the windows of Beirut's international passenger terminal over nine kilometres away. The chairman of the Rotary District Disaster Relief Committee said so much glass is needed, needed as virtually all windows were shattered throughout the city. The impact was felt more than 160 kilometres away in the Mediterranean and was heard in Cyprus about 200 kilometres away. Early estimates um, are of collective losses in the order of 20 billion Australian dollars. So to top that, uh, in just a few days following the blast, Lebanon was left without a government as the government resigned. So like the mushroom cloud, the blast amplified the troubles that already affected Lebanon. Political instability, economic collapse and the tenacious hold of COVID-19, which Beirut's Rotary, Rotary Disaster Committee was already working on at the time of the blast. So um, in terms of, you asked about rebuilding, has there been any? Uh, well, I was wondering, has, has any rebuilding started or are they still clearing away the debris or don't you know yet? Yeah, well, it was actually amazing in terms of clearing away the debris. I reviewed over 30 videos, which mostly came from, you know, ordinary people with their mobile phones that were uplifted and there was a particular site I found um, that had already access to them and in a number of them you could see the this is just a matter of a couple of days after the disaster. Ordinary people in Beirut were must have been shell-shocked but they armed themselves with shovels and brooms and they cleared the street. There was a, a European fellow who early in the morning was walking the street to talk about the effect of the disaster. And he said, look, they have cleared. And it was, it was pristine. There was a clear roads. There was no one about because it was very early in the morning. But he was able to show that they just got in and did. And I suppose that resilience has come from the, the travails that they've had to get around for you know the time before this disaster sure. they've had to rely on their own uh, resources so Carmel, so, um, Carmel let's just turn if we could please to Castle Hill Rotary yeah I think you've got yeah. a, a Lebanese population in the in the district well yeah we do have in the region generally there's significant um, Lebanese community um, our mayor, uh, councillor, Dr. Michelle Byrne, has acknowledged um, that we have a significant Lebanese community, and and that our, you know, her heart and and of all of us uh, go out to to that community. But we were all. Um, affected by this, but we particularly were concerned for the Lebanese community in Australia that often doesn't know how they can reach out to help. Okay, so um, we've got some local Lebanese in the Castle Hill area. You've got your other Rotary, Rotary Club members and the wider community. You've set up a process for raising funds to go to Lebanon to help with um, the rebuilding over there. Yeah. What is the best way for people to find out a bit more uh, and to make a donation to support your work, Carmel Robinson? Okay, well, the Castle, the Castle Hill Rotary Club has set up a Facebook page which 
is updated often with our GoFundMe campaign for um, Make Beirut Rise Again um, or Help Beirut, Beirut Rise Again. The GoFundMe campaign is a very new concept to our club. We've never used it before, but because of the usual um, fundraising avenues really close to us due to COVID, we, we thought, and, and the need to really reach wide, um, we thought this was a good way to... I'd like to congratulate you and your club on seizing initiative here, showing the way among, within the Rotary um, world about what can be done. And uh, for our listeners, have a look at the Rotary Club of Castle Hill's Facebook page. There's a GoFundMe section there where you can show your financial support and learn what you can about the situation in Lebanon and how you could uh, participate in the recovery of, of that country. Carmel Robinson, it's been a delight talking with you this morning. Thank you so much for your time. This is Triple H 100.1 FM with Ian Stewart. Good afternoon to you all and welcome again to Rotary Matters, episode number 97. Look, uh, two very different stories for you today, but they both have one important feature in common. They both emanate from the same Rotary Club and both exemplify very well Rotary's core motto of service above self. Now, way out in the far northwest of Australia, there is a remote indigenous community called Jugarari. It's very small and the local, indeed, the only school there has a population which fluctuates between 7 and 14. And although the school itself is relatively well resourced, the sad fact is that there are very few books in the homes of the children who attend, so they miss out on many of the developmental advantages enjoyed by children in larger and more accessible villages and towns. Now, their situation became known to a not-for-profit organisation called Books in Homes, who in turn were contacted by the good folks of Castle Hill Rotary Club here in the northwest of Sydney. Club members then set about raising funds to buy new books, which were eventually trucked to the school, much to the delight of the teachers and the children. A simple but very effective gesture. Now, the second story, coming, out about, coming up at about half past three this afternoon on Rotary Matters, uh, focuses on a disaster which is well known to you all. Early last month, I'm sure you'll remember, a huge explosion that rocked the city of Beirut, causing massive loss of life, in injury and devastation to the city. Normally, there'd be a rush of international aid to the city, but we're in the COVID era, making it very difficult to marshal and deploy the usual array of NGOs and aid agencies to relieve the citizens of Beirut. However, there is a Rotary Club in Beirut and a Rotary Club at Castle Hill in Sydney. They put their heads together and figured out that if financial aid could be raised here in Sydney, it could be transferred to the club in Beirut, who would be able to receive it and spend it wisely where it's needed the most, because Rotary is able to get through where large government and NGOs can't. A smart move, and in today's episode of Rotary Matters, we'll be meeting Carmel Robinson from Castle Hill Rotary to tell us about both activities, the Books in Homes projects, and the plan to provide urgent relief in Beirut. But look, um, just in case you haven't actually heard us before, the idea of this weekly program is to bring you an interview to explain and provide insight into a specific Rotary cause or project. It's, called, it's um, called Rotary Matters because, as you'll find out over the next hour, Rotary impacts many lives locally and around the world. So each week on the program, you might be hearing from an Australian 
organising free eye health clinics in India, or an Australian running oral health and hygiene projects in Nepal. Closer to home, we might look at Rotarians running a food bank in suburban Sydney, hosting an overseas student, removing graffiti, or fundraising to send soap to Manus Island, or in recognising somebody in the community who's gone over and above the call, earning themselves a Pride of Workmanship Award. So let me give you a refresher about Worldwide Rotary. It's, um, as I say, it is worldwide. It was set up over 100 years ago to foster the idea of service above self. Around the world, there are 1.2 million members and 36,000 Rotary clubs in 220 countries. So it's pretty big. Um, uh, here in Australia, we've got 27,000 Rotarians and 1,100 clubs. Now, most clubs, they, they meet once a week and they devote their time to making the world a better place through a range of very worthy local, regional and international community service projects. So you're going to find uh, Rotarians um, uh, fighting disease like polio and malaria, providing clean water, sanitation and hygiene, saving mothers and children, supporting education, growing local economies, promoting peace and supporting the environment. As I said a few moments ago, we're talking today with Carmel Robinson from Castle Hill Rotary Club about two very different projects delivered by her club. We, be- we begin with an initiative to provide books to the homes of remote or disadvantaged children in Outback Australia and we conclude with a look at their current campaign to support victims of the horrendous blast that shook Beirut in Lebanon earlier last month. So please stay tuned and I'll be back shortly. Things are speeding up here at Rotary Matters. Uh, We're going to be learning about a project called Books in Homes with Carmel Robinson from from Castle Hill Rotary Club. And I spoke with Carmel by Zoom. So we're talking this afternoon with Carmel Robinson from Castle Hill Rotary Club, two fascinating projects that Carmel's involved in. The first of these has the working title, Books in the Home. So um, this is to do with the relationship between her Rotary Club in Castle Hill and a remote community called Jugaraji, way up in northwestern Australia. So Carmel, how did the relationship begin between your Rotary Club and the Jugaraji Remote Community School? Hi, Ian. Well, it all started following an impressive guest speaker who came to our club meeting about a year ago to talk about the Books in the Home program. Books in the Homes was originally founded by New Zealand author Alan Duff. Alan was inspired to create the program in 1993 after a visit to New Zealand primary school where he discovered the majority of children came from bookless homes and showed little interest in reading. So Alan saw this as having a major negative impact on their educational, their social, personal and professional development later in life. Fortunately for us, um, Alan visited Australia in 2001 and helped create books in homes in Australia. The Australian government did a a very successful pilot program in far north Queensland and Northern Territory and followed up with by commissioning an independent evaluation of the program, which was um, highly, highly uh, favourable. So the, the, the um, basic idea here is that remote communities or families anywhere that don't have uh, reading matter at home can be given uh, books to suit their particular needs. And in this case, we're talking about a remote 
community in northwestern Australia called Dugaraji. Can you tell us anything about the school itself, Carmel? How, how far away it is from the nearest town or and indeed how, yes. many, how many children go there? Um, well, yes, the, the books are actually not only to provide books but to encourage reading and to appeal not only to the children um, but also to encourage parents to read to children and also to encourage parents to read because... So- that's often dropped off these days. So what, um, what is needed? Is it fiction books or non-fiction books? Um, it's both. Um, in fact, the school that uh, received um, books from the program funded by our donation favoured um, non-fiction books. We understand that uh, the program, Books in the School, which is a charity located in... Um, warehouse which is part of which space is donated by the large transport company the charity actually uh, works with the school to send the most appropriate new book to the to the school concerned so it's so it's they new, target it's, it for the children it's new books that they're after these are warehoused yeah. centrally and then shipped out mm. to the communities that need them so the role of yeah. the rotary club is to raise the funds to buy the books that eventually get distributed uh, to to the people who need them. And the charity has a list of books and uh, they send that to the school and the school, of course, knows their kids and what would, you know, be most appropriate for them. What a a great idea. Is it something that um, is an ongoing project for your Rotary Club? Are you continuing to raise funds for books in the home? Well, we'd certainly like to think so because um, it's amazing charity and um, so, so successful. Apparently there's 2.6 million books that have gone out across Australia since the program began. So we'd like to think that we could continue that um, relationship because it's been so rewarding to see what it's done for the children and the charity in turn has been so very pleased of our support. But um, it will depend, on, of course, on our ability to raise, raise funds, uh, further funds in these COVID times, not, not terribly easy. And, of course, the, um, the board will, of our club will need to decide its own priorities. But so far, um, we've only just recently had feedback from both the school and um, the charity, even though it was a year ago that we actually made the donation. So it's taken some time to get there, but uh, definitely worth the wait. So the, the, the school in question, Jugaraji, um, I believe is not far from Fitzroy Crossing, or probably 100 k right. from Fitzroy Crossing, with a relatively small uh, population. Do you know the numbers of students there? Yeah, there's um, only 14 children aged from kindy to year six, and Apparently, the physical school is very small in terms of just a couple of rooms. But surprisingly, um, when we were given the name of the school, and that came by uh, virtue of the letter of appreciation from the school, which included a photo of the teachers and the kids and also a picture of the landscape uh, uh, surrounding them, we were able then to, you know, look a bit we didn't have to fly there. Um, we just looked on Facebook and at their on their website, and we were amazed to see that they do have um, a fair amount of technology. But that didn't devalue our donation, as you know, uh, 
thinking that you're donating to a dis disadvantaged school um, because having technology and having access traditional to traditional books is a great supplement to the technology, a necessary complement. So, and apparently the children really, really enjoyed them. In fact, the teachers remarked the most um, popular book was one on sharks. Sharks? <laughs> and the kids, sharks. Uh, which is interesting given their position well inland, not exactly a, a coast of the beach. Right. And, um, yeah, and they liked non-fiction books. So we can only imagine maybe there's a beautiful pictures of various sharks that um, captured their imagination. Well, well, Carmel, congratulations to you and your fellows at um, Castle Hill Rotary. If any of our listeners wants to find out a bit more about the books in the home and your own role in facilitating this... Um, you've got a website, and have you got a Facebook page about this? It, it, well, it, yes, it's on our uh, website, and if you go to the website Books in the Home, you will be able to see um, a report about what we've done. There's a magazine that comes out month monthly issued by Books in the Home called The Bridge, and there was a very decent um, acknowledgement and also... A, um, a description of what Rotary does and what our club does in particular there and about all the other um, sponsors and donations and what they're doing and aiming to do. So, yeah, it's a good way to explore future options for other people to um, participate. Well, well done to you. Well done to you. Yet, yet another example of a Rotary club putting service above self. Um, we're talking with Carmel Robinson from Castle Hill in the northwestern suburbs of Sydney. Um, in a moment, we'll be hearing a bit more from Carmel regarding another project of theirs, which is to do with alleviating the condition of people living in the disaster zone of Beirut. This is Ian Stewart, and I'll be back shortly. Thank you very much, Carmel. Welcome back to Rotary Matters. My name is Ian Stewart. It's been a great, it's a great pleasure to be with you today on Triple H 100.1 FM. Look, if you've only just joined us, this is a program designed to put the spotlight onto the world of Rotary and onto some of their projects and activities. Today, uh, we're talking with Carmel Robinson from Castle Hill Rotary Club. I spoke with Carmel by Zoom and I asked her to, exp her to explain the economic situation that prevailed in Beirut before the big blast in August and then what happened and the um, impact that it has had. This is Carmel Robinson. So your Rotary Club has recently adopted a project to provide some relief in Lebanon. Uh, we'll call this the Beirut Project. Just refresh our memories, if you would, Carmel, the disaster that occurred there. When was that? And can you remember what, what was the cause? OK, the gobsmacking and terrifying images burst onto our screen soon after the, the event, which was at 6.17pm Beirut time on the 4th of August. There was at least one initial explosion which ignited a fire, which apparently triggered a second supersonic blast wave that radiated across the city. With over 5,000 years of history, Beirut had a population of 2.5 million and it serves as the capital of Lebanon. But importantly, Beirut is also the largest centre of population in Lebanon. So this has obvious relevance for the impact of the Beirut disaster for the whole of Lebanon's 7 million population. So the epicentre of this was the port in Beirut. Yes, that's and right. There was a large stock... And Beirut on... is... Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll go on to that. Yeah, please. So 
There were many recordings of the moment the explosion happened, it happened including the image of uh, a beautiful bride and groom blown off their feet by the enormous shockwave. Who could forget the images of the mushroom cloud that sh appeared shortly after the initial blast? Many of us felt as though we were watching the nuclear blast that levelled Hiroshima 75 years ago. It will forever be for many of us, where were you at that moment? In terms of what caused it, um, a large amount of ammonium nitrate was said to be around 2,750 tonnes is believed to have been inappropriately stored, allegedly for the past six years in a poorly maintained warehouse. Without profit safety measures and despite warnings of danger, there had been previous explosion incidents involving the chemical around the globe, though none on this scale. The scale of the incident drummed home our own vulnerability in Australia with similar large storage issues of the chemical near the Newcastle CBD. The risk situation in common with Beirut made the terrible circumstances of the people of Beirut so very relatable. We have a nervous empathy. Okay, so dreadful, dreadful devastation, uh, loss of life, loss of property, um, yeah. loss of infrastructure. Has any rebuilding begun yet? Um, do we know of, Carmel? Well, can I step back a bit? Because the, um, uh, last night um, uh, we had we spoke with the chairman of the Beirut, Beirut Disaster Committee Relief Organisation in in Lebanon. Okay, and he is the uh, chairman of that committee, and he is in the Rotary Club of Lebanon. It was actually a very large Zoom meeting with others involved in the district, including uh, members from Bahrain, because there are nine countries in that Lebanese, in, sorry, in that Rotary um, district. And in describing the needs, the chairman, Shel Jazar, felt it was really necessary to go back and look at the situation, which was really diabolical, immediately prior to the blast. Because to describe the impact the blast had on the on Beirut could not be understood without understanding what was there immediately before, what what the situation was immediately before. So, so he went on to describe that. And uh, he, here's, here's what he had to say. At the time of the blast, there was 40% unemployment. 50% of the population were in poverty. There were no public services. Supplies of water, electricity, sanitation was a problem with allegations of cor corruption in the public sector. Businesses closed and um, redundancy soared to 400,000 people with no severance payments or unemployment benefits. Prices soared. Hunger was rising in the population. Hospitals had difficulty in transferring money to purchase equipment um, because of the problems in the banking sector. Public and private hospitals were not being funded by the government. There was an 89 billion US dollar public debt and the lockdown for COVID fed the economic production costs even more. COVID-19 cases were getting out of control. The banking situation was still um, very much uh, an issue. And back in October 2019, there was 
what was described as a revolution. The banks closed for two weeks and the value of the currency dived and the minimum monthly salary equivalent had a purchasing power of $70. Um, when it was originally $400, it had an actual purchasing power banking issue of $70. So the, the interest rates... Yeah, the devastation is just unbelievable. It's apocalyptic, the impact. And this is before, this is, yeah. this is before the blast. Before the blast. So the blast, we've got to set the scene. Yeah. It was diabolical even before that. So it's almost unimaginable. Exactly. So no, normally in, a, in the case of a natural disaster, um, or any disaster for that matter, we get NGOs from around the world swarming in and offering aid um, and assistance. Yeah. I guess, is it because of COVID that they're not able to do that uh, in this situation? Yes. Um, scientists reported that the blast was unquestionably one of the largest um, non-nuclear explosions in history. And uh, the blast was strongest in the popular Beirut neighbourhoods near the port, lined with apartments, clubs and, and restaurants. It is rather clinical to talk in the numbers of dead and injured as each person meant the world to someone. But due to the confusion, initial numbers were um, uncertain. So last night, um, uh, past uh, District Governor Michelle Jazar, in, uh, who chairs the Lebanese Re Relief Com um, Committee in, in Beirut, uh, reported the current situation. There are 150 deaths, 5,000 injured, 16 people missing, 4,000 families displaced, building repair costs estimated at 9 billion US, the harbour port repair cost estimated at 2 billion US, and incoming port traffic was down 75%. Chairman Michelle reported that the major hospitals were severely damaged, such as St George's Hospital and Getway. Hospital. All hospitals in Beirut exceeded their capacities and rerouted some patients to hospitals all over the country. Personally, I can't shake the image of a gorgeous three-year-old girl reportedly killed in the blast. And she was photographed before the disaster, struck in her pretty pink outfit with her flowing curly hair carrying a Lebanese flag. It was just devastating. It is unknown what the ultimate effect will be of the toxins almost certainly released into the air that day. And uh, Beirut's port infra infrastructure, which is at the heart of any hope of economic recovery for Beirut, was destroyed in that instant. Most homes and businesses were damaged or destroyed in the two and a half kilometre radius of the explosion. Virtually all glass windows shattered and were propelled like missiles into buildings and people. The blast blew out the windows of Beirut's international passenger terminal over nine kilometres away. The chairman of the Rotary District Disaster Relief Committee said so much glass is needed, needed as virtually all windows were shattered throughout the city. The impact was felt more than 160 kilometres away in the Mediterranean and was heard in Cyprus about 200 kilometres away. Early estimates um, are of collective losses in the order of 20 billion Australian dollars. So to top that, uh, in just a few days following the blast, Lebanon was left without a government as the government resigned. So like the mushroom cloud, the blast amplified the troubles that already affected Lebanon, political instability, economic collapse and the tenacious hold 
of COVID-19, which Beirut's Rotary, Rotary Disaster Committee was already working on at the time of the blast. So um, in terms of, you asked about rebuilding, has there been any? Uh, well, I was wondering, has, has any rebuilding started or are they still clearing away the debris or don't you know yet? Yeah, well, it was actually amazing in terms of clearing away the debris. I reviewed over 30 videos, which mostly came from, you know, ordinary people with their mobile phones that were uplifted. And there was a particular site I found um, that had a ready access to them. And in a number of them, you could see the. this is just a matter of a couple of days after the da disaster. Ordinary people in Beirut were, must have been shell-shocked, but they armed themselves with shovels and brooms and they cleared the street. There was a, a European fellow who early in the morning was walking the street to talk about the effect of the disaster. And he said, look, they have cleared. And it was, it was pristine. There was a clear road. So there was no one about because it was very early in the morning, but he was able to show that they just got in and did. And I suppose that resilience has come from the, the travails that they've had to get around for, you know, the time before this disaster. Sure. They've had to rely on their own uh, resources. So, Carmel, so, um, Carmel, let's just turn, if we could, please, to Castle Hill Rotary. Yeah, I think you've got yeah. a, a Lebanese population in the, in the district. Well, yeah, we do have, in the region generally, there's significant um, Lebanese community. Um, our Mayor, uh, Councillor Dr Michelle Byrne has acknowledged um, that we have a significant Lebanese community and, and that our, you know, her heart and, and of all of us uh, go out to, to that community. But we were all um, affected by this, but we particularly were concerned for the Lebanese community in Australia that often doesn't know how they can reach out to help. Okay, so um, we've got some local Lebanese in the Castle Hill area. You've got your other Rotary, Rotary Club members and the wider community. You've set up a process for raising funds to go to Lebanon to help with um, the rebuilding over there. Yeah. What is the best way for people to find out a bit more uh, and to make a donation to support your work, Carmel Robinson? Okay. Well, the Castle, the Castle Hill Rotary Club has set up a Facebook page which is updated often with our GoFundMe campaign for um, Make Beirut Rise Again. Um, or help Beirut, Beirut rise again. The GoFundMe campaign is a very new concept to our club. We've never used it before, but because of the usual um, fundraising avenues really close to us due to COVID, we, we thought, and, and the need to really reach wide, um, we thought this was a good way to... I'd like to congratulate you and your club on seizing initiative here, showing the way among, within the Rotary um, world about what can be done. And uh, for our listeners, have a look at the Rotary Club of Castle Hill's Facebook page. There's a GoFundMe section there where you can show your financial support and learn what you can about the situation in Lebanon and how you could uh, participate in the recovery. Of, of that country. Carmel Robinson, it's been a delight talking with you this morning. Thank you so much for your time.